Hey, it's Carolyn from Homesteading Family. Before we jump in today's pantry chat, I'd like to invite you to join me for a free four-part video series where I'm going to take you step-by-step through making high-quality dairy products in your very own kitchen. Don't worry, there's no cow required. (laughs) If you'd like to join me for the training, jump on over to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash dairy. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we're going to be talking about fermenting. We're going to be doing an introduction or 101 on basic lacto-fermenting. This episode of the Pantry Chat Podcast is sponsored by Made On Skin Care. Made On specializes in skin care specifically for dry skin, and they use as few ingredients as possible to get the job done. You guys, this is the type of skin care I would make myself if I had time to make it in my own home. And the great thing is, Renee even shares her exact recipes with you. The Bee Silk Lotion Bar is my go-to lotion when my hands get dry and cracked. And it's only made with three ingredients. Renee created it when she needed something to fix the splits in her fingers, cracks in her feet, and then she found out that it also worked great on her son's seasonal eczema. Go to hardlotion.com slash homesteadingfamily to find out what Josh's favorite made-on products are and also use the code homesteadingfamily for 15% off today's purchase. All right. So, hey, you guys, we are continuing this week the discussion on preservation techniques. Yeah. And, you know, this is a really good one for this year because canning equipment is getting really hard to find. You know what? I made a major mistake this year. I knew going into this year, and I always know that I need more canning lids. You know, you have to replace them every year. And um, I ordered tons of canning lids. I mean tons because we, you know, we can a lot. We do over, usually over a thousand jars in a year. And so I ordered enough to get me through this year and some backup. You know what? I just ran out of pint jars. No I have, way. I have not bought jars in years because I have so many. And apparently we've done a good enough job filling our pantry shelves this year that I actually ran out of pint jars. And there are some still out there available, but they are getting limited in supply. So fermenting is a really amazing way to um, pick up the pieces if you run out of canning supplies. Very cool. So <laughs> before we dive in, though, mm-hmm. let's uh, get into a little chit chat and yeah. answer a subscriber question. Okay. So what's going on with you? Oh, it's just, just hanging out, I'm relaxing, just, yeah, taking it easy. You know, I'm kind of pretending like I'm on vacation and mm-hmm. doing nothing. That's why the basket of plums are sitting back there. <laughs> you don't see the the hundred plus jars of just plums. Already, yeah, and there's like three more bushels of plums laying around. It is just really harvest season right mm-hmm. now. And so I think the other day we did a plum jam session. We were jamming. You were jamming with the plums. We jammed about sixty. Uh, I'm sorry, pints of mm-hmm. plum jam in 
I don't think we made a dent in our plum supply. Well, and they're still on the tree. We've got several bushels sitting here. Yeah. So that's been a good yeah. one this that's year. Been that's been, a been highly one. successful, which yep. I'm thankful for. Yep. And some of the other losses with the freeze. And then I'm starting to work on bringing in some of the produce that we either lost with the freeze. Mm -hmm. We didn't have grow out. We had a really challenging garden year this year with a late spring. It was just cold and wet for slow, a long time. A slow starting. And then we had this really early freeze that killed a lot of things. So there were some things that we just didn't get out of the garden. And so now I'm working on bringing those things mm -hmm. in. And, you know, one of them, a major one, are pie pumpkins. Um, I did not realize that there is a at least a local shortage of canned pumpkin now. My general theory is that if I have to buy the produce in order to preserve it, then for the sake of my energy, I might as well just buy it preserved. Okay. So in general, if I'm going to have to buy something, especially full price, I would rather just buy it already canned. Okay? Yeah, well, it often is more expensive by the time. If you have to buy it full yeah. price, the raw produce, right. and then go through all the canning and all through the work, that mm -hmm. ends up being a much higher cost. So knowing that I didn't have pie pumpkins from our garden this year because they all froze, immature, weren't, weren't at all ready. Um, I went out to go find canned pumpkin and get that stocked up on the shelf to replace that. Canned pumpkin apparently is very scarce, That's at least in our part like. of the world. I couldn't <laughs> find it on Amazon. I couldn't find it on Azure Standard after searching all of our local grocery stores. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing rumblings of a national canned pumpkin shortage. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's for real, but we do know that a lot of things did not get planted this spring because of COVID, because we shut down our borders to the migrant workers who would come in. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the labor to plant a lot yeah. of agricultural we, we, fields. We've been expecting that there yeah. would be something like this coming in some of the crops. Right. I, I never really heard what all crops. I know we saw potatoes. There was mm -hmm. an issue with potatoes. So I'm not really that surprised that we're going to see some shortages yeah. On fall produce. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I think we're going to start seeing some of that now. So, luckily, there is not currently, to my knowledge, a shortage of actual pie pumpkins, just the kind that's already been processed and put in jars and cans. So, I went ahead and went out and got myself a whole bunch of pie pumpkins. And luckily, those will sit around until the rest of the stuff that needs to be preserved right away kind yeah. of gets into jars and shelves and things like yeah, that. So. Good deal. Well, yeah, that's what I've been doing. What else? You've been getting onions up, starting to string onions. <laughs> Stringing onions, yeah, bringing stuff in. We're bringing in potatoes yeah, right now. Yeah, coming in right now. Yep. So just, just trying to, uh, you know, keep our head above water during harvest season. And right now, we have 20 people in the house at the moment. We have some guests here staying. Mm -hmm. Um if you guys ever send in an email to our support box, you probably talk to Robin. Yep. She is like, she is our angel behind the scenes. She keeps us afloat a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, um, and she's just wonderful. And she's here with her whole family right now visiting. So it's wonderful. We're longtime friends, both families. And yep. so it's really nice to have them. Um, and, you know, Feeding 20 people every meal, though, does keep you yeah, hopping. That's a big job. That's it is a big job. <laughs> a lot of meals put together. It is. You're doing a great a job at it, too. So, yeah. Well, thank you. How about you? 
What are you up to? Yeah, well, uh, y'all know we're working on an addition, and we're mm-hmm. trying to beat the rain right now. And it is Robin's husband, John, who's a good friend of mine, who's been yes. here for several weeks mm-hmm. and is helping us with that. So that's been a lot of fun, but we are working hard to get ahead of the rain. And um, we've got it dried in, got the roof Yay. paper on, the wallpaper on, windows are going up today. Wow. Yeah, and rain's coming tomorrow, so it's in the nick of time. Well, thank you for taking a few minutes and sitting down with us here so oh, we, can, absolutely. <laughs> we can chat. I always love being here. But in the midst of that, we've got to get the potatoes out of the ground because yes. they froze, the tops froze, and they were fine as long as the soil's dry. Right. But we're looking at quite a bit of rain. Yeah. And um, and they've had enough time to cure, so we've got to get them in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the onions in out of the barn because mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to get pretty moist out there. And trying to get a few cover crops. I planted a couple rows in the cover crops uh, okay. last week. And got a couple more if we can today. Hopefully, it's not the end of the world if we don't. But but we're trying to do more cover cropping that's good for the soil and good for our no-till system. Right. Um, so I'm hoping today I might yeah. be thinking I'm going to accomplish too much, but hoping to get that <laughs> <Usually>. in. Usually, <laughs> yeah. But it's just it's been a big push on the building the last week, really. Yeah. And then and then my side of the harvest. So yeah. But it's going good. Very very thankful. Even with some of the losses from the freeze, um, I think we've got more potatoes coming in, more onions coming in than we ever have done. Beets, carrots, and parsnips are still out there, and yep. hopefully we we can get another month. They're, they're fine in the cool weather, yeah. and we got some rain coming, so um, that's going to make up for some of the other things that didn't make it a little bit. Good, yeah, that's good, so, really good. Yeah, that's that's it. That's all. That's all. That's all you're doing. Wow. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> Keeping okay. us busy. All right. all right. Yep. That's how it goes until the snow flies, pretty much. Yep. yep. Good. Cool. Well, let's get to a um, subscriber question. Okay. okay. And this is from Gia Redfern. Hope okay. We're saying that right, Gia. On choosing a homestead property, should we ask about mineral rights when looking at buying land? Ooh, good question. Good question. You know what? I left that one out. I skipped over it. Didn't think about it. Absolutely, you should. You need to know what you're getting. Of course, water's primary. And in some states, you own the water rights on your land. In some states, the state owns it, and you may need to file for it or make sure it's updated or just know what the rules are. So you definitely want to do that. And then timber, we live in timber country, and I Mm -hmm. definitely, when we were buying this land, had to ask the attorney a couple questions because some of this land had been owned by the timber company. We have... We have um, an actual easement that goes through. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you want to make sure you understand everything that's happening there and including what's in the ground, what's in the minerals, the soils. When we talk about mineral rights, it's, it's, you know, we're including water, we're including timber, and then we're including what's in the earth, which could be oil or other things. And obviously, most of us aren't dealing with those things. It's usually water and timber are the bigger ones. Okay. Um, But you do want to know, and you don't want to, you want to be very careful because if somebody has rights to those, um, like when we lived in Tennessee, there was some mining rights on that land because they used to strip mine right. for coal. They don't do that anymore, but that was another one we had to look into to make mm-hmm. sure those were no longer active because if they're there, people can come in. A company can come in if they if you don't own those rights or there's some sort of um, deal in the title. Okay. So you very much want to understand what you're getting into. And, of course, best case scenario is you, you've got control of everything. So is that all going to come out in a title search? It should, yes, but it's your response. Title is going to name it and, and, and declare it, but it's your responsibility to look through it and understand because okay. title will call things that they see as a problem, but you need to understand what's there. They may not necessarily see it as a problem if the timber company's got an easement through your property. Yes. You know, that's okay. not, not going to cause any alarms with title. It's just something that's there. So you need to make sure and do your own diligence. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure... 
you know, have an attorney review it and make sure you yeah. know what you're getting into. Because yeah. um, there, there's a lot of problems that do happen around that. Oil rights would fall into that or natural oil, gas yes, rights, Natural right? gas, yeah. oil rights right. fall into that. If, there's, if you're in an area that does any kind of mining or any kind of pulling resources out of the earth, um, you, you definitely, you know, there's likely you may have something mm -hmm. in that. You know, we've Good. got we've got gas lines that run near us, and that's mm -hmm. an issue for homeowners. So there's a lot of things, and you want to be aware. You yeah. Know? Okay. That well, that's a good. good question. Very important to think about, and um, so glad you asked. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Well, we're diving into fermenting, kind yes. of a fermenting 101. Yeah. And, and this is something we really enjoy in our house. Mm -hmm. But before we get into fermenting, because I think most people probably assume that we're talking about vegetable fermenting, but not everybody. So I think you're going to yeah. cover a little bit the different types of fermenting. You're right. Clarify we're, for yeah, us Yeah, we're going to talk real fast. There are actually about four different types of fermenting. You probably could go even further than that. But you're going to have your alcohol fermenting. Mm -hmm. You're going to have your vinegar fermenting. You're going to have your lacto-fermenting. Okay. And that's usually what we think of when we're fermenting vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then you have another kind of fermenting. It's the bad kind. It's the rotting kind of well, fermenting. Well, if, if it's your food on the shelf, it's a bad right, kind. It's if the it's bad out in the soil, right. yeah, might, that might be good. So we're going to try and avoid that one. But today we're going to be talking about that lacto-fermenting right. um, as a preservation method and as a way to bring health into your diet. Lacto-fermenting regarding vegetables. So this is, yeah, this we're really is gonna be talking in, this, about in this case, we're talking about vegetable right. preservation. Right, you can lacto-ferment lacto other things. You can definitely lacto-ferment some um, fruits, but they don't really count as a preservation method because they won't stay lacto-fermented. They will go to alcohol eventually. Right, because so, of the sugar, high sugar, sugar content. Sugar. So right. we're gonna be talking mostly about vegetables okay. today, okay? All right. So. Just, just to cover the basis here, what is lacto-fermenting? Okay, so lacto-fermenting is where you create an environment to allow the lactobacillus bacteria, which is already present on your vegetables, to proliferate. When they proliferate, they start eating the sugars in the vegetables. And as a byproduct, they create lactic acid. Lactic acid is very healthy for you. It's a very good thing for you, for your body, but it also preserves your vegetables. So it puts them in a semi-suspended state, keeps them from going bad. One of the ways it does that is because the lactobacillus bacteria actually goes and hunts down all the other microbiology in the jar, um, like hunts it down. They'll go find it and they're going to destroy it. So, so the, if you so the, get that other bacteria that's going to mm -hmm. break things down, right. it's actually slowing that process by going and yeah, killing it, waging war. It on is, that it other wages, bacteria. It, yeah. <laughs> right? And so that's going to keep your vegetables in a state where they're edible for a long time while doing some other really good things that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Cool. So I think there's a couple different uh, timings talking about that time yeah. frame in, yes. in fermenting. So you can use lacto fermenting. And I want to say right now, because there's a, a lot of confusion about the term lacto-fermenting, a lot of people think it refers to lactose, mm, okay, right. a milk sugar. That does not refer to lactose. Right. It refers to lacto from the lactobacillus bacteria. So just so you know, right there, this I think this started because some people use whey from cheese making as a starter for their ferments. And so people started thinking you had to have the whey in order to lacto-ferment. It has nothing to do with milk at all or lactose. 
So, um, okay. so you can use the lacto fermenting though for both short-term fermenting, something you're going to eat next week or the next two weeks, you're going to keep it in your fridge, but you can also use it as a long-term preservation technique. And mm. some of that has gotten kind of lost in our history and our culture. We don't really use it for that anymore. For the long-term For the long-term. Yeah. But it's a really exciting thing to learn about because it stores food really, really well for the long-term. And so we're going to be talking about some of my top tips because I've been experimenting with that for the last couple of years. So we're going to be talking about some tips at the end. So make sure you hang all the way to the end to learn more about long-term cool. preservation by fermenting. Right on. All right. So <laughs> why, what are some reasons that you would want to ferment the pros of lacto-fermenting? Okay. Uh, what, what, what are the pros here and, the, and the, the reasons to do it? Okay. So there's a few of them. Number one, it's really, really healthy. It's really good for your body because it's really good for your digestion. It's really good for your gut. When you hear that, you know, I've heard different numbers, but 75% of your immune system, sometimes it's up to 90% of your immune system, depending on what number you hear, is in your gut. You can understand why having really good working digestion is really important because mm -hmm. it actually helps your immune system out. Fermenting is one of uh, just an amazing way to get your digestion in order, get that working well, and then boost your immune system for it. So it's really healthy. Now, it, it also helps increase vitamins and, and minerals. That, can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. The, the, how, how does it increase them? I mean, okay. where, where do they come from yeah. and why does it Well, it increases it vitamins. It doesn't increase minerals. Okay. Your mineral right. is your mineral. Okay. But it does, the process of the lactic acid being created actually creates more of certain types of vitamins, your B vitamins, K vitamins, some of those things actually really go up wow. in fermented foods, uh, your C vitamins in a lot of cases. And so anyways, it's a great way to get more energy out of your food, more from your food, but also the um, fermenting action creates enzymes in your food. So mm -hmm. you hear, you know, after 40, we should all be taking digestive enzymes. That's mm -hmm. kind of the standard advice. Right. Or you could just make your own. You don't actually have to take the pill. You could just make your own and eat it. So well, and I, I love that you bring out that it's actually providing you with more energy, and mm -hmm. so so you you've got increased value out of this way of preservation right. with decreased energy inputs yes. to actually make the preservation happen. Right, and, and that's another pro, right? right. Is was, that right. it is so quick and easy. Right, to you don't need something. fuel. You don't need electricity. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you need storage, you need yeah. jars, you need something to put it in, yeah. but you don't need that energy to get this food preserved. Right. And, and, and unlike like canning, where you use a lot of energy, you're generally degrading the nutritional value. Exactly. In this case, you're using less energy to preserve it and increasing the nutritional value. To me, that's just really cool. It is. It's really exciting. I can preserve a five-gallon bucket of tomatoes in about by fermenting in a few minutes. Like, it does not take very long. I don't have to heat anything in the kitchen. It is really fast, and it's incredibly easy. We're going to go into some of the steps in just a few minutes. But that is one of the major pros, especially this time of year when you have tons of produce coming in all at once, and you feel like you're drowning in produce. How am I going to put this all up? Ferment. It's a great option. And lastly, it tastes really good. It does taste yeah, really good. I, I love it, especially carrots and tomatoes. Yeah. Those are two of my favorites. Yeah, it yeah. really tastes delicious, and you can have great flavor combinations. But I want to bring out one point we talked about really quickly, but we mm -hmm. kind of glossed over it. It's also fermenting is incredibly safe. 
because that okay. lactobacillus bacteria hunts down the bad bacteria, it makes it one of the safest cool. preservation methods. So if you're worried about canning or something else, this is very, very safe. Okay, so some of those are some of the reasons that we like about fermenting, why it's a good idea to do. But like everything, there are some cons. What, what are some of the things that, that are not a strong point of fermenting, why you might not do it in certain situations? Okay, well, we just talked about the flavor and the taste being a pro. Mm -hmm. But for some people, that's a con. It, it is can take a little bit of getting used to for some people. They can't. It, it's different. And we've, you know, in our culture, we don't eat a lot of fermented foods anymore. Right. It's not a normal part of our diet. And it does have a little bit of a different taste. So it takes a while to get used to it. What I do have to say is that if you start eating it small amounts at a time, <laughs> even if you don't like the flavor, your body starts to crave it actually really quickly. Well, it really does. And something you've done real well too in our home to, to get us used to it is introducing it earlier in the fermentation. Yes. Because it does get stronger over time. Yeah. And so by introducing it earlier, um, you know, you don't you don't get that strength of it yeah. as much. And so that I know that's definitely helped me yeah. uh, get used to the flavor and get to where I really enjoy it and I, and I look for it. And, and yeah, my body craves it when I know something's coming. Absolutely. In fact, I have an entire video out on YouTube just on how to help your family learn to have a taste for fermented foods. So you can look for that on YouTube. Yep. But that can be a con for some people. Now, another one is that you're working with something that is alive even when it's on your shelf. Biologically active. It is biologically active, exactly. So what that means is it's continuing to change over time. That means the flavors are going to get stronger. They're going to get more stable. Your texture is going to change over time. Mm -hmm. And so that is actually, I mean, in some ways it's kind of fun. In some ways it's really neat when you learn how to work with it. But if you're used to shelf-stable things like canned goods that you put on the shelf and they stay there in kind of suspended animation, this is different than that. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize you don't just have forever with fermented foods. You can take them a really, really long time, but they're going to be changing the whole time. So right. they're not stable in that way. Right. They're still good. They're just changing. <laughs> um, and another one is that because you're dealing with natural bacteria and natural processes in a less controlled environment than, say, canning, mm -hmm. You can have failures and you can have larger failures. You can have batches that just go bad and you don't really even know why. Okay, so, but talk about failure because if we think about a canning failure, mm -hmm. either something's broke, mm -hmm. broken, broken, or <laughs> something has gone bad in a way that can be unsafe. Yes. So, when you, so tell us about what a failure looks like in fermenting because you were just telling us how it's, it's safe, it's very right. safe. Right. So, what a, when, when we say failure, what is, a, what is a failure? Okay, so a failure would be where you either get discolored mold, bad colored mold on the top of it, which would be a fault of the process, would be something you okay. did wrong in the process. We're going to go through the steps in a minute. Or occasionally you get something that has been infected already with some sort of bad bacteria and it gets a head start on the lactobacillus bacteria and it ends up being the thing that takes over the jar. So it wins food. the battle in this it case. It wins the battle, yeah. right? The great thing about fermenting is that if that happens, it is going to smell so incredibly bad that nobody would be able to pay you to put it in your mouth. Okay. 
It's not like canning where you have no idea if you have botulism in that jar by looking at it or by smelling it. Uh, with fermenting, you know right off. You don't even have to stick your nose in the jar. You'll know from a distance that there is something wrong with that jar. Now, when you're not used to fermenting, everything <coughs> in fermenting can smell a little funky Yeah, it takes some getting first, used right? to, right? But there's a difference between funky and putrid. If it's putrid, you just dump it. It's not poisonous to anything else. So you don't have to treat it like biohazard, like you do a jar that potentially has botulism in mm -hmm, it. Okay. But so you can dump it into your compost pile. No big deal. But you're going to know that it's bad. Okay. So yeah. can you can you cover the mold a little bit? You talk about the layer of mold mm -hmm. that gets on the top. It's right. like usually a white mold. Okay. And we've eaten vegetables out of that and worked with that. Right. So can you explain that for people? Because right. we get questions like that when they're going through the fermenting class or some of the videos on YouTube. Wondering if that's okay and, okay and what that is and how to deal with it. Right. Okay. So sometimes if your food floats to the top of your brine, it can get some mold on it growing. That is why it is so important to make sure that your food is always submerged under right. the brine. We'll be talking about that in just a minute again in those steps. Um, because if it comes to the surface and it's exposed, uh, it can have mold start growing on it. The good thing is that mold only grows on the surface of mm -hmm. things. So if it is a safe colored mold, that would be a white mold or a green mold, and you can just scrape it off the top. If you look at most fermenting directions, it says check your ferment every few days and scrape off any scum that comes to the surface. That's the light term for get it before it turns into yucky mold. Okay. okay? Good. So as long as it's in those colors and it still smells good, doesn't smell putrid, mm -hmm. then it's safe and it's go. okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, you were, I see here you're going to get into a little bit of a how-to. Yeah. You know, walk everybody through a basic lactic fermentation. Yeah. So, so let's talk. In. I'm going to go really quickly through six steps of fermenting and then we'll go back and talk through each step just okay. a little bit. Okay. So the basic six steps are pack your vegetables, chopped vegetables, into your fermenting vessel. Okay. Then you're going to want to cover it with a salt brine. And you're going to need to weigh it down. Then you're going to leave it out on room temperature until it's fully fermented. You're going to then put it in cold storage. And then you get to eat it. So those are your six steps. Okay? Cool. So we're going Good. to go back Good through. And this is really for... Um, this is really for chopped vegetables because if you're doing things that are shredded, like turning a, a cabbage into sauerkraut, you're going to want to handle it a little bit differently. But this would be for things like your carrots. Um, if you're going to do beets, fermented beets, Ooh, those you are can so do good onions. Too. I mean, you can just do pretty much any combination that you want of vegetables, which is really fun because it's so safe. You have a lot of freedom. You can do kind of whatever you want to. So... The first thing you're going to want to do is pack those vegetables into okay. a fermenting vessel. That can be a crock. It can be a jar. It can be anything that is either ceramic or glass that you can ferment in. You don't want to ferment in aluminum, most metals, and you don't want to ferment in plastic. Is there a size limitation? No. Okay. You can go all different sizes. I'm looking at an, an eight-gallon crock back yeah. here. We got an eight-gallon, we got a one-gallon. And I've we seen use... they, they make much larger ones. And yeah. I mean, you can go up into barrels if you yeah. want, right? If you were... Absolutely. I mean, we're not even on that scale, but... Yeah. 
But you could. You could. All the way down to a little pint jar if you want to. I really recommend if you're brand new to it to start small. That way if you ruin a batch, you won't ruin a big batch. (laughs) That sounds good. But you want to make sure whatever you're using is food grade, right? Okay. And then you're going to want to make your salt brine. Now, a master brine recipe that I use is about three tablespoons of a fine salt to one quart of water. Now, it's important to talk about the water and the salt for just a second. You're trying to grow bacteria. Well, okay? you're farming bacteria. You are farming I thought of bacteria. it in that way. That's right. In that way, you don't want, one, vegetables that have had pesticides or fungicides on them. You want them organic. Okay? You don't want anything that's going to kill your bacteria. You don't want chlorinated water or treated water. Please, if Ooh, that's you a big have one for a lot of people. treated water, yeah. just go get distilled water from the grocery store. That'll be just fine for this. You also don't want iodized salt or table salt. Why? Because iodine kills bacteria. That's why they put it in wounds, Mm -hmm, right? Right. So you don't want that for your fermenting. But you can make a brine in the ratio of three tablespoons of salt to one quart of water. So you mix that up first. You mix it up. Make sure the salt dissolves Mm -hmm, all the way. Before you pour it into. And you pour it in. Cover your vegetables all the way. Make sure there's enough (laughs) brine in there to completely cover the vegetables. Okay. Okay? Then the next step is to weigh that down. Now, the best thing that I have found for weighing it down is the actual, if if you're using a mason jar, or the actual glass weights. Mm -hmm. Um, That that they make for... Specifically for, for this purpose. Yeah, yeah. and um, the ones with the little indents with the finger holds in them make it so easy to use. I know we've gotten some from a company, a Year of Plenty, that have been great. They're mm-hmm. really nice. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, the description. But uh, you want to make sure that your vegetables are always weighted down under that brine because again remember if they float they're going to mold on the top they will mold on the top it's not they might they will if, if they're, they're floating the if they're if they're yeah. touching the surface of the water right so you want to weight right. them down and mm-hmm. make sure they always stay down under that liquid cool yeah okay so then the next step is to put a lid on them loosely you want it to be able to breathe a little bit and to put them on the counter at room temperature until they're completely fermented Whoa, how do you know that? Yeah, that can take between three days and it can take up to a couple of weeks depending on the size of the vegetables. Okay, but if, if they can if they can kind of go quite a long way. So they can. Where is like fully fermented where you say, yeah. how, how do you... Right, and this is not a hard and fast rule, but you can get some out and, you know, you want it to be fermented all the way through the vegetable. Okay. So in the center of the vegetable, you're going to start seeing a little bit of visual changes. Um, you know, cucumbers are a great example of this. If you slice a cucumber that has been in a brine for a couple of days, you'll start seeing where the brine has gotten to because there's a change in color. Right. Okay. Okay. You want it fully fermented before you move it to cold storage. Okay. Okay. And then the next step to that is to put it in cold storage. For a lot of people, that's the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's just cold storage. If you can get a space in your house that's below 55 degrees Fahrenheit, you can store it outside of the refrigerator um, pretty certainly. So in a, in a, in a typical root cellar condition, right. a lot of basement conditions. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, but tell us, since since we've already gone down this road of understanding a little bit of the biology Mm-hmm. Um, what's the cold storage doing? Okay, as so far as it's slowing down. 
that change from the sugars to the lactic acid. So when you get it to a a place that the vegetable itself has fermented, you want to then slow that down. That's slowing the activity of the bacteria down, right? right? That's starting to make them inactive or less active at least, depending on how cold it is. And that's going to keep your vegetables from maturing as a ferment too quickly. So it's going to keep them from getting really strong, sour Mm -hmm. fermented flavors. So it's going to kind of slow that down, keep it, um, you know, uh, a little more stable for a little longer. If you put something in the refrigerator, it will almost stop fermentation altogether because it's so cold. So I was going to say, if you could go down to the 30s, low oh, yeah. 40s and 30s, and if you could create a space like that, absolutely, you could store a lot of food, uh, long time long. fermented food, yeah. and not have it get overly strong, which right. is what you know a lot of us don't like if it starts getting too strong. Too strong, yeah. yeah. Fermented food that is put in the refrigerator can last for years. Wow. Yeah, it can sit there for a really long time. If you have fermented food that is consistently kept below 55 degrees, it can easily last a year. In fact, we are still eating off of some that we did last summer. Here we are in September. Mm-hmm. And it has only been in cold storage, not in the refrigerator. And it is still good. It is strong flavored at this point. Yeah. But a little bite is good. Good. It's good for you. Yeah, yeah. it was really good for you. Okay. So, so yeah. store it. Store it. And then... Eat it. And I know that kind of sounds silly on a steps thing, but in a culture where we don't eat a lot of fermented food, I answer the question very often, mm-hmm. what do I do with this stuff now that I've made it? Right. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, let's talk for just a second about how to eat it, how to get the most health benefit from your fermented foods, because it kind of all goes together. Um, eating it all at once isn't going to give you nearly the health benefit of eating it regularly day after day after day. And amazingly enough, it only takes a little tiny bit, like a bite full, to give you a very powerful health boost. So be so careful. Don't so don't be binge eating your fermented veggies. Well, I, you know, I've done it. I got to say those, <laughs> they get those really carrot good. sticks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're really Is good. Is there any problem with that? Can you overload? It, it can. If your system is not used to it, to- it can you know, because it is bacterially active. Right, right, exactly. So I would make sure you start, especially if you really don't eat fermented foods, you're not used to that at all. Mm. I would start slowly and start with a, a few bites a day. But you know, one thing that I found is a really great way to do that is at your mealtime, when you set the table, take everybody's fork, put one fork full of your fermented vegetables on it and put it on their plate. They can't have dinner until that plate or until that fork is empty. That is enough to um, really give some really good health benefits, but you don't have to consume a whole bowl of yeah, it. So cool. another way to eat it is to serve it as a side dish. I love it put on top of rice. Like if we're having rice as a mm, side dish, yeah. just some fermented vegetable vegetables on that make it really good. Um, so topping things with it, putting them in salads, those are all really good ways to get some of them in there. But make sure you consume them raw. Don't turn around and can them. Don't put them in something that's going to be cooked because then you're killing off the enzymes I mean, you're not, you're and not the gonna, bacteria. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. hurt yourself or the meal. No, you're, you're, not ju- gonna you're hurt just it. ruining the benefit. Right. You know, if you want to use them for cooking because you enjoy the flavor of Absolutely. what you've got, you can totally do that. Yes. You're just, you're just then killing off the benefit of the right. bacteria that's there. Yeah, that's a really right. good point. You're totally right on that. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm noticing one thing here you wanted to mention about the change up if you're going to shred as far as that recipe, just since you're okay. giving people the basic. Did right. You? So back in those basic steps, if you're using shredded vegetables instead of chopped vegetables, then 
you actually don't use a brine to cover it. You put salt directly into your shredded vegetables and let the salt pull the liquid out of the vegetable and create its own brine. So you'll see a lot of recipes for um, sauerkraut that way, where you put yeah. the salt in and you wait for the liquid to come up. Um, the ratio for that that you're looking for is one scant tablespoon of fine sea salt or good quality salt, mm -hmm. remember non-iodized, per two and a half pounds of fermented vegetables. All of these uh, ratios are relative. Like right. you can up them, down them, you know, they kind of, they're kind of your best guess for your kitchen. Cool. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Well, you know, we've got a few resources for you in case they want to dive in a little further than just this audio. Right. Audio video instruction oh, yeah. here. Uh -huh. And there are some free videos on YouTube. Yes. You've got several out there on fermenting different recipes. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get some links in the description below. Okay. And Carolyn's got a great class, small mini class. Yeah. Fearless uh, to, fermenting. To get you going. Yeah. So yeah. a few re resources if you haven't started yet. Right. This is a great place to start. It's a great preservation method to learn. And as we've explained, it's uh, beneficial to your health. It past is. just preserving food. Absolutely. We really need to cover that because I promised it. Gotcha. Okay. Anything. So we right. have to talk about my top tips for using fermentation for long-term storage, even though we're getting late. So I'll go pretty quickly. You can make them last for a really long time. My top number one tip is to make sure you sterilize your fermenting vessel in boiling water for at least mm. 12 minutes if you're looking to do a long-term ferment, especially if it's not going to be in a refrigerator space. Can you define long-term, like 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 past how long? What, okay. What's long-term? I don't, Past a couple months, but really the, the big key here is if it's not going in the refrigerator. Okay. If you want to keep it on yourself in a coolish sort of space. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it's really going to make a huge difference. The other thing is, is to if, you can't keep it in under 55 degrees, up your salts a little bit, and that will give you a better chance of okay. survival, you know, length of time. That right. it, it'll be saltier, but it will give you better results. Yeah. And then at the beginning of fermenting, make sure you check the top of your ferment and skim any scum that comes to the top. <laughs> That's really going to help you just make sure you do it with a sterilized spoon or utensil. So. Very, very cool. Yeah. One more resource. You mentioned it once, but I wanted to add back in there. Year of Plenty has great yes. uh, fermentation products. Yeah, it's got products. great kits and yep. all sorts of things. And we'll leave you a link for them as well. Absolutely. And uh, that'll get you started on your fermentation journey. <laughs> okay, you guys. Great hanging with you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.